Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 946 with Jonathan Fox. I really think if you believe in what you're doing, you need to believe in letting other people help you do it. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge. Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro, and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant System Pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants. Fred will teach you recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, Profit, more butts and seats, and that's not it. If you are interested in this, head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, founder in, or I should say co-founder and pitmaster of Fox Bros Barbecue, Jonathan Fox. My man, Jonathan, are you feeling unstoppable today? Always unstoppable. Beautiful, man. I am super excited for your conversation or our conversation. Um, just doing the research to find out how you got to where you are today. Super organic, super, super like slow and steady, just like the food you cook, you know, like slow and steady growth, organic growth. And I just heard so many great things about you talking to other barbecue people. I've had a lot of barbecue joints on the show and your name comes up often, man. So I'm excited for today's conversation. I know you're going to be great, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Well, welcome. First and foremost, um, glad to have you guys Thank here you. And, and talking with you today. My mantra is, I think the main thing I, I go by daily and it's, it's been one for years that I've gone by is if you ain't learning, you ain't living. Mm. And that's, that's just the, been the way that we've run this business is I didn't know what we were doing when we first opened. So I had to learn a lot of things. So I think when you stop evolving, I mean, why are you, why are you still doing yeah. And I think that's one of the things, one of the reasons why I like the idea of just starting small because so often I think people, they, they hold off from starting because they think they need to know everything and they think they need to, like, they're not ready and they're not ready. But if you just start where you can and you start small and you slowly just push and, and don't let your, your, your fear get in the way of like, just to start. Right. And you will figure it out over time. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, part of that learning is, is learning new mantras to go by. And, and we were on a, a group call with our team and, and something, something was said by our HR director that kind of stuck with me and one I've been going by too and kind of using it to to our team. But, you know, it's like, keep moving forward Mm. and you can look back for a moment and take in what what you've done, but just always keep moving forward. And so that's, you know, kind of learning new 
ways to keep moving forward is is always something great. It reminds me of a, a quote that's been echoing in my head lately, or a mantra that's been echoing in my head lately: one percent better every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, just as you get, if you just get one percent better every day, before you know it, you're. 500% better, yeah. you know, yeah. like 10x, right? Yeah. Uh, beautiful stuff, man. Great way to get this started. And where does it make sense to start sharing your story? Because you weren't a restaurant guy before this, were you? No, that's all part of the learning. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm a twin, twin brother, uh, me and my brother Justin. Um, we were born in Texas. And hence the Fox bros. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know how we came up with that was people often guess like they couldn't guess our names. Even our dad screwed up a lot. You guys are super identical. Too, yeah. Right? Yeah. We're, we're identical <laughs> twins. We're three minutes apart. If he was here right now, he, he would say, cause I'm the older one, uh, that it was the best three minutes of his life. <laughs> so, um, anyway, we grew up in Texas and, and I think, you know, when we grew up, um, when you, when you landed barbecue, a lot of people are like, Oh, is it, you know, does your family have history in it? Is it a generational thing? And, and to a lot of people it could be, but you know, it's weird because I don't think, you know, if you're a chef of Italian or, you know, uh, farm to table, you know, whatever, they don't ask, is that a family thing? Mm-hmm. You know, is it barbecue for some reason? It's just like, that's the question. Um, we didn't grow up with barbecue, but I always felt this, this passion to like entertain and host. And when I was in high school, I remember my parents went out of town and I would invite friends over and cook for them. And that was like the way I just expressed, you know, gratitude towards Mm. friends. So you know, that was just something I was always into. So I moved to Atlanta in 1998. I had a, I got a job out here in, in the computer industry and, and, um, doing graphic design, web okay. design. That was kind of the, the, the height a, of everything. A good skill to have yeah, in the yeah. restaurant industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, when I moved out here, I was like super excited. I was like, man, you know, we're, we're gonna have parties and, cook for people but i didn't know anyone i knew yeah. one person i grew up with my brother was still living in texas he moved out like two years after i did so um i got to know people and started kind of you know just cooking on the side um one of my one of my jobs i had a non-compete clause for doing web work so i wasn't allowed to do freelance web design for anybody but i found that i could cook and, and one of the first things I did was, uh, my buddy that I was living with at the time was a bartender at a restaurant in, in an area here in town. And I was like, I had this cake recipe. I'm not a baker. I'm, you know, I don't know why I put a, a cake out there and, uh, the restaurant bought it. So I started selling these cakes to him and, um, that was my first little foray into, into cooking and, so fast forward a year, I, I wasn't really doing much of anything. Uh, my brother moved out and, um, uh, I remember going, Hey, I got an itch for barbecue. Where do people in Atlanta, Georgia go eat barbecue? 
And my buddy took me to a spot here that was really popular. And, and I was just like, man, what is, and this is 1998 for the record. 99. Yeah. Yeah. So this is before food had legs and you'd have very, food was still very regional at this point. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, barbecue in, in the South is different than barbecue in Texas. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, this is what people eat here. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, mm, okay. So what was barbecue like in Atlanta? Cause I know you have like South Carolina type barbecue, you have Memphis type barbecue, then there's a Texas, but what was barbecue in Atlanta? Well, it's very pork driven. Uh, there's a lot of pork, um, you know, which Texas has pork ribs and, and, but it's a lot of. You know, especially kind of the classic Georgia style barbecue is pork, but but it's ham. Mm. So they'll smoke ham, which on it as its own is can be very dry. Mm-hmm. And so it was just like, hmm, okay, you know, brisket, ham. You know, I like ham, but it's just not what you know is was causing that itch yeah when i think when i think south i think like whole hog yeah 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 yeah. and you go up a little further further north and and uh just you know just a couple states up you start getting into that yeah yeah so that was like kind of drove me to i was at the grocery store and i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna buy a brisket Mm -hmm. i'm gonna cook this brisket and i bought this little tiny um flat which flat is the, there's two parts of a brisket, the, the flat, the point. And together they make the big brisket separately. The flat is the lean end. So when you think of corned beef, stuff like that, it's not one of the reasons why it's so traditionally hard to cook because it's two different cuts of meat together. Yeah. 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 That take longer for everything to break down yeah. and you don't want to overcook one end while one end's undercooked. Yeah. So this was just the flat, and it was, I mean, it was about the size, I, it was smaller than a Frisbee, and <laughs> I had this little grocery store, 1999 special four-legged grill that I took and I put charcoal in one corner yeah. of it, and got a little pie pan with some wood, and, and uh, make made my own little first offset smoker and i put that bread i was so excited works, I, made a, I made a rub yeah. i i did all i was like man i'm gonna eat <laughs> and that brisket like seized up i mean the edges curled up and and um and i was like oh it's it's done it's done and i tried that it was tough as shoe leather i mean it was the worst thing i've ever had and I was disappointed, but that disappointment drove me to like, okay, I got to keep going. So this uh, is the inspirational part yeah. of the podcast. <laughs> like you do, you're every master was once a disaster. Oh right? yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I always tell people, I'm like, I'm like the first lesson in barbecue is don't be afraid to make mm. mistakes because that's where that's where your path comes from because you learn what not to do and move on to what you should be doing. So, so I, you know, I, I kept kept at it. And, um, uh, I, I remember I, you know, I started getting little different types of cookers and like I had a buddy that, um, he gave me he lived across the street and he was like, man, I got this little electric, I call them R2D2 smokers. They're like the, 
um, you know, looked like R two D two, and uh, but it was electric, so it had a little element in the bottom. You plug it in, you put wood chunks on there, create smoke, heat, everything. upgrading. I now use that thing. I started cooking pork butts on that and chicken and things like that, and 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 I got pretty good at it. And I went out one morning and I had some some uh, stuff on there, and and I went to grab it and take the lid off, and it was misting out and. And I shocked myself. Oh man! <laughs> so that was the end of that smoker right there. How bad of a shock? We're talking it was like just hospital. A, it was just a. Zzz, okay. You know, I was like, you are not supposed no, to do that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that was the end of of that that uh, type of smoker right there, and um, so you know, it just kept evolving from that and and growing, and um, it it turned into like a, a every weekend i was cooking something for for friends and and inviting people over to like sample and honing in you know like recipes and and at this point it's just for fun though right? yeah, yeah 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 um you know i was i, I was i love the south and and i love the the um like southern history and culture and and the the food of the south the vegetables and everything and so it was important to like start working on you know all the the slow cooked sides and things like that and um and that's what really where people were like man this is this you're, you're i think you're on to something here and and i had some friends at the time that were like hey let's let's take this and and let's open up a spot. <laughs> yeah, this is what's going through my mind. These friends can be dangerous sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So we went, we sat down and, 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 and I, you know, I have no idea. I, I'm just a cook. I, I, I cook the food and, and they were like, let's put a business plan together. And I, I remember we drove to, you know, another city where they had connections with someone who owned a barbecue restaurant. We went and looked at it. They were like, Oh, let's call it this this place. And I was like, well, what about this? This is what we're known for or known as. And at the time it was just me. It wasn't, wasn't my brother. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they're like, no, we don't want to single anyone out. We're going to call it this. And, and, uh, so we bought a smoker. We, we, we pitched in up between me and the two other people. And we all, we bought this little smoker. And, um, I remember as a group, a group of friends, they all, we all traveled with a planned a big trip to Costa Rica. Okay. And you brought the smoker with you? No, okay. I stayed. <laughs> I was like, I can't go. Oh, I need to, I need to stay here and continue working on this. And, and everybody else went and, um, needless to say, um, that, that opportunity didn't work out. So wait, I'm a little confused. So, um, you have friends that you're cooking for, uh, in your backyard, you guys mm-hmm. are just, this is your passion. This is for yeah. fun at this point. They convince you to go in on a, a, a smoker, uh, like a more commercial type smoker is yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. They go to Costa Rica for what? Vacation? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm just implying that they were all going on vacation as a large group. Okay. And, and they invited me to go. And I was just like, I can't go. Because you had to work on smoking? I wanted to stay in. in this in, is my vacation. Yeah. This is, <laughs> yeah. This is what I want to focus yeah, on. Like, I don't and I, and I, I don't feel like I should not waste the time. That's a $3,000 trip. I could buy a lot of brisket with that. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Or pay off the smoker. Exactly. And, um, so it didn't work out with that group. So, 
but I wound up paying them off and kept the smoker. How much was the smoker? What, what type of smoker was it? There's a, a company in South Georgia called Lang. Okay. And uh, they're, they're very, very common in like, uh, you see a lot of it in competitions and in uh, some restaurants and things like that. Uh, it's it's uh, the style. It's offset, meaning you Got fire one on end. the side. Yeah, and and in the it's a reverse flow. There are several different types of cookers, but um, this was in a it was a on a trailer. It was on a trailer um, and was parked in in my driveway. I think I can visualize what you're talking about. Yeah, and um, it looks like a big tank yeah, with the lift yeah. up, and then there's a the little propane tank yeah. and. Um, so I paid them off, got the smoker and continued to evolve. And, um, I I was working, I still had full-time job. Okay. And, and I, I kept, once I got that smoker, then, uh, when you start doing the catering fun parties, well, things started progressing and, um, we had our first backyard party. Okay. We uh, was this a for profit party or for or just a come hang out and let's have a good time party? Well, you try to make some profit. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I had a full time job, so so you want to more or less have fun. Yeah. And, and make some money while you're doing it. Side note: You never want to stop having fun. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um. So we started planning this party. We booked some bands and we had some friends coming in from out of town and all of a sudden, uh, wake up one morning and, uh, some planes had flown into the, the trade center. Oh yeah. This is so time now is 2001. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, that kind of put a damper on everything. Our party was scheduled for that Sunday. Okay. Afterwards, I believe that was on a Thursday that yeah. that happened. So, so air travel stopped, so people couldn't come out. We decided to have the party. Um, so, we, people were going to fly into this party. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, friends from just Texas. Not a lot of people. Yeah, people from Texas, and um, but they wanted to come out and yeah. and and hang out. It was yeah. a weekend, so so we had this party. At this point, your brother is in Atlanta, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're living together. Yep. We have this small house uh, in this part of town called Brookhaven. Got it. And um, we have this little stage in our backyard, and we set it up. And um, This is a party. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was going to be, you know, all you can eat. It's a Texas size. All you can drink. And we had kegs and boots. Nice. Bottles of makers, everything. So... Um, and it was like forty, fifty dollars. So was, this is like an under the table type. There's like yeah, you show up, you pay, and we, everything's covered. Everything's covered. Food, Entertainment, yeah. food, everything. Nice. And so that started what they they called that the Fox Brothers Backyard Barbecue. Nice. So that's kind of Just where, stuck. Yeah, that's where the the name kind of stuck I from love there. That. So we had we started that was in 2001. We we made it an annual event. And we only had like 50 people at the You're first kind of reminding me, but sorry to interrupt, but we yeah. used to do my, we used to, my brother and sister and I would have all of our friends cover, come over and we called it catch a palooza mm-hmm. for we, everyone called this catch for short, catch a Tory, yeah. catch a palooza. And so much of what you're sharing just resonates with me. This idea of just, it was just about bringing people together and feeding people and showing love. And yeah. that's what we love to do. And I think it's the same thing my parents love to do with their restaurant when like the restaurant I grew up in and, it just resonates with me. I feel, I feel the need to tell you though, what your story just really resonates with. Yeah. If anything on that day yeah. too, 
it needed, you know, people needed to come together. Yeah. And I, we have a picture of it, and it's kind of somebody brought a flag over, hung up the flag on in, in the back of our fence. And, and, uh, and I remember it was just a beautiful day. Yeah. I mean, it was September and uh, one of those fall southern days where there wasn't a cloud in the sky, comfortable temperature. And what was weird was you, you, no planes were flying over, so it was quiet. And, um, so it was just, everybody took in that day and it was, it was a great start to mm. it. So we made it an annual event once a year that we planned to do these things. And I mean, we had 40, 50, 60 people maybe. Wow. And the next one we had over a hundred. Nice. And we had, this house had one full bathroom and a half bath. <laughs> you must have pumped that septic the day before. Uh, <laughs> we had we had a small kitchen, okay. and where you know the stove was you know half the size of a normal stove. Like the oven, when you open it up, you couldn't fit a full pan into it. Um, so we're cooking for all these people and trying to figure out how to hold everything, you know, heat everything. And but that's a big smoker you're working with. How many how much how many pounds of meat would that thing hold? I mean, it was. It was a it was a sixty model, so it was sixty inches long of cook space. So it was big for me at the time, but, but not now, for hundred people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it was hard to manage. Yeah. So, but it was it was teaching me like how to how to cook ribs, yeah. pork, brisket. Um, how to how to cook with too. fire. Yeah. yeah, and and so by the third party, the third the third year. You know, we had 175, 200 people there. Okay. And besides our house getting wrecked, I was like, okay, we're, we're, we're cooking for these many people. Why can't we just start doing catering, you know, and, and kind of take a stab at that. I was still working full time. So learning how to cook that much food, working on recipes, kind of, honing on a small menu, um, small meat menu, uh, sides and things like that. Mac and cheese, collard greens, green beans, you know, some of the staples and potatoes, salad, coleslaw and coming up with just a small menu that you, know, you could put out there. And it was all just word of mouth. And, and so we got some business, you know, it was trying to just not take too much cause I was working full time and, 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 you know, doing small office jobs and things like that where I could fill it yeah. in and deliver it in my Honda and set it up. And but at this point you're not like, and like, this is where it gets a little weird because like you're technically selling tickets to a, an event. You should have a license to do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But you're not doing that yet. Right. No. Yeah. No. And I mean, technically <laughs> it's one of those things. It's like start where you can, you know, and, and like, don't let those things stop you from just having a good time and practicing and going. I think a lot of people think that they're afraid to do things like this, but like just cover your expenses at first, yeah, you yeah. know, just, just get the money to cover your expenses. If you make a little bit of money, great, but really you're just there to like learn on somebody else's dollar. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And that's it. it, it it's building. Yeah. It's you're, you're building you, you're building your brand, you're building your resume, you're building your menu, and it's just you're building, yeah, yeah. And um, 
So part of that word of mouth and, and meeting people and, and, and having people talk about what you're doing, there's like kind of a little underground buzz, you know, with a small circle of people. So I had a friend that introduced me to this guy who ran a bar and his dad owned the bar called Smith's Old Bar yep. here, here in Atlanta. So the year now is 2004. So this is like five years into you just having fun and doing yeah. this yeah. You know, privately. Yeah. We're doing the concerts in our backyard. Um, I mean, we had some, you know, we were, we we're getting some pretty major, you know, artists at the time come through. I mean, we, we didn't have an extensive budget, but, you know, we had, you but know. Yeah, good barbecue and that was enough yeah. to show up. Like by, I think by, by 2004 or 2005 I and mean, we had like, Patterson Hood of the drive-by truckers come and play, and uh, our neighbors they they we do them all on Sundays, and and there are afternoon and evening shows, and and our neighbors um, they didn't really complain. We had the cops come once, but the cops were like, "Hey, you know, eleven o'clock yeah. curfew." Yeah. But um. But they, now they, now that they, they know, you know, that there's a lot of people who knew, Hey, that was the Fox brothers, you know? And, yeah. and so they're like, man, remember those parties? I was like, <laughs> yeah. I do. You know, I, think, the, I think the secret to that is invite your neighbors yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they can't call the cops on you. Exactly. So <laughs> anyway, so we meet, um, uh, Bo who's Bo Nolan at Spitzel bar. And I, he was like, Hey, you know, that's great. I've had a lot of great barbecue, you know, bring me some next week and, and we'll talk. So I did. I brought him some some ribs and some pulled pork, and and um and I guess he took it to his dad, and they both I guess enjoyed it mm. immensely. And they called me, and they're like, "Hey, let's let's do something." Nice. So I was like, "Okay." So this is before pop ups were pop ups. Yeah, the pop ups weren't a thing. Yeah. So we did a Wednesday nights at, at Smith's Old Bar, and um we had a uh, we put a menu out there and invited people up. And we had a small menu, brisket, ribs, pork, and a couple sides. And, and we had a good turnout. And, and we, I don't think we sold out the first one, but we started selling out pretty quick. And um, I, at the time, what I was doing was I was cooking everything. And um, I would take the brisket, I would slice it. And I would vacuum seal it, chill it in portions. Mm -hmm. And, and this is 2005, so 2004, 2005. Vacuum sealers, even commercially, like this is when they first became like commercially available. Yeah. 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 And, uh, they would microwave the portions in the, in the bags and, and open up the bags and, and serve it. And it was, it was good quality. You know, I wouldn't, I, we're not doing it at the restaurant, but at the time and how we were cooking, obviously yeah. everything was at home. You know, I'd cook pans of mac and cheese and collards. And so you, you started doing this every Wednesday. Would you do it like this every Wednesday or is that what you evolved into to have it there available every day of the week? So we started just Wednesday evenings. Okay. And, and this was your process at that point. Yeah. Got it. And well, that, that process became the standard of okay. what we were doing uh, at Smith's Old Bar. Got it. So Wednesdays took off and football season came around and they're like, hey, do you want to add Saturdays and Sundays? Mm-hmm. 
college impro. Yeah, because they're like, we open up at noon on Saturdays and Sundays. So maybe we can, you know, it was a slow takeoff, but it, it kind of eventually took off. Were you pretty pro- profitable at this time? Were you, are you starting to like make money? Is this the first time you're really like making money? Yeah, I would sell, I would sell them. Everything was priced out and, and I would sell them um, like if I would sell them a pork butt yeah. at a set price and that pork butt would be broken down into yeah. a certain amount of portions and a brisket, a rack of ribs, you know, or a half rack and, and, and I would just submit invoices. And so are you savvy enough at this point to be doing like menu engineering? Are you, are you figuring out no. down to the penny what this oh, is no, actually worth? No, okay. no, it was all, it was all guesstimating. Yeah, yeah. So, but I, I mean, I asked that question on purpose because it, for everybody, you know, like there's these, these, this evolution of, Oh, like this should be an equation, you know, like yeah. I'm sure you're doing that now. Like, yeah. you know, oh, exactly yeah. what yeah. you're making. Yeah. Uh, uh, but the only other thing I want to add, I think now is a kind of a good time is like the, the things that's really standing out to me. If you're, if you're choosing to do this today, you know, just having fun, start collecting emails, start, build a website yeah. from day one. Like, these are things that cost you maybe $50, yeah. right? Like, yeah. or if you can't do it yourself, you can outsource it for a couple hundred dollars. But the value of that list from day one, if you start, like, if you're going to just kind of have parties, just like use that email list to keep people informed of when the party is going to be. And every time somebody shows up, find a way to collect those emails. And this is your foundation. This is, this is the beginning of your marketing. So now when you're, Hey guys, guess what? We're at this place now. And Hey, we're going to be opening over here. All those people that saw you grow along the way, you can keep them informed. And I think that's the beginning in today's world. Like just, Start your business with a digital presence and you can, you don't need a brick and mortar to build a brand. No, no. You know? And, and at that time when I was doing that, that was before there was no social media. Mm-hmm. Um, there was email groups, message boards, things like that. Um, so there were like foodie groups and, and they started talking about the barbecue that they were having at Smith's old bar. And then create a separate list, mm-hmm. a segmented list of all of your foodies, right? Cause now those are your influencers, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Keep going. And then you, you send things to them, try to say, Hey, um, you're, you're seeing what they're saying. You know, you're looking at the feedback and, and then you're kind of like, mm, I'm going to bring something special and see, you know, mm. see if they, they talk about this. And, you know, so you start growing an audience and, and back then it was, it was, you know, it's easier to just throw a picture out there and do it. But this was 2005. And, and so one day turned into Wednesday and a weekend. And next thing you know, we had seven days a week that we were doing this. I was still working full time. What yeah. was the period from the first Wednesday to seven days a week? How much time had elapsed? Within a, probably a year. Okay. So again, though, I love it because start where you can, yeah. you know, don't go, don't overextend yourself, slowly crank up that, that, that valve. Right. Yeah. And, and as cash flow starts coming in, start making slow investments. Well, and I got to, I, I had a banner made. I got to put the banner up there at the, at the bar and uh, I think it's still hanging up there. It has my cell phone number on it. And uh, <laughs> so I would start, you know, getting, same uh, cell phone today. Yeah, wow. same cell phone today. <laughs> and uh, I, I keep saying I just take that banner down. If anybody it, comes uh, to Fox Bros, so you <laughs> know that that banner is accurate. <laughs> I, I still get I still get random phone calls, but um, it, it, I, you start building more business, and and I was getting more catering, and um, 
And I was working full time too. And well, I was going to say, is this before or after you get laid off? Because you got no. laid off. Yeah, I got laid off, but I was still working. I was that time I was working up north of town. Is this why you got laid off? No, no. It was it was eventual. You know, the I was working in in the web, you know, dot com yeah. age, and then that age had a bust, mm-hmm. and and I wrote it out through the bust. But I was working for um, uh, Peachtree Software at the time, so they were like accounting software there's legal software and everything and you're doing web development web development i was gonna ask who did your website i'm wondering now did you do it no we did i i i stopped after uh, (laughs) our first couple years got it um because the the um web society had evolved and i wasn't evolving with it yeah it's changing so fast constantly i was on i was on barbecue so um i was catering still working i was catering like even my team at work knew what I was doing and I would cater our lunches up there. Nice. So I was, it was great. I was getting paid on top of getting paid, <laughs> Nice. but my schedule was, I would get up in the morning, drive 20, 30 minutes to work, work for an hour or two, leave a little early, stop at Sam's on my way out, buy meat, Drive back home, prep the meat, put it meat. Start up the smoker, put the meat on the smoker. Um, hopefully, my brother was still there <laughs> and would maintain the smoker for a couple hours while I went back to work, and would try to sneak out a little early and then stayed up most of the night cooking. So I was I was doing that for a good year or two. Was this an issue for you? Um. I was younger, so yeah. uh, you this know. This is going back to, um, like over twenty years ago. We I was I was really into it. Yeah. That was that was what my life was, you know. And and how, I, do you mind me asking how old were you at this time? Oh shoot, um, we can reverse engineer. It I, I, I'm trying to do that. <laughs> Let's that. Um, I was I would say I was in my late twenties, okay. early thirties. Yeah, you got a little more steam in the engine, yeah, steam in the yeah, tank during yeah. that time for sure. Uh, I am curious before we move on um, because I, I love this approach and, and when you're negotiating these types of terms with us, say you're doing a pop-up, right? What do you need to know? Like what's good advice for somebody who's getting like, how do you protect yourself? How do you protect the person you're working with? Uh, did you learn things the hard way during this time? Did you ever get burnt doing something like this? Well, I was only Not working on the smoker, but you know what I mean? Yeah. I was <laughs> only working uh, with that bar. Okay. So, uh, we had we had negotiated really just um, pricing and and submitting invoices and then getting paid. Um, we did I did get half off my bar tab, which you know was kind of nice. But um, really, that's the only part that I negotiated and, and, um, I didn't really do any other pop-ups outside of Okay. Cause like I said, pop-ups weren't even a thing back yeah. then. It really, and other than that, it was just catering and I'd put together a catering plan menu, like one meat, two meats, um, basic side, um, you know, um, enhanced side, which would be yeah. collards Mac Got or something it. like that. And, and, um, then it was just answering emails and, and filling orders yeah. and stuff like that. I'm curious. Cause you mentioned Ronnie and Phil from blue smoke barbecue. Great guys. Um, sorry, blue Oak barbecue. I always do that. I get confused with Dan Meyer, um, blue 
Oak Barbecue. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a very similar story. And yeah. they, where they went to a, a music venue, like a bar, and they were doing pop-ups. Um, they didn't reach out to you before that, did they? This was no. I just I was wondering if they, if they learned that from you, or if that was a, just a coincidence thing. Because I knew they reached out to you at some point during their come up. For like, well, I think I think what it is with the bars and music is is a lot of well, at least here in in Georgia, um, bars have to have so much uh, be a percentage food to alcohol sales in order to be open certain hours yeah. or, or open on Sundays. So a lot of times you're just trying to drive in people. What brings in people because alcohol sales are a great, you know, mode of income. Yeah. There's, there's a wider profit margin versus sure. food. So, um, so it was a win-win for them. Yeah. Um, and then you look at someone to come in and do it and it builds, it's exposure for your brand and get in front of people. Mm -hmm. So, um, we were doing that seven days. I was catering. Finally, I went into work one day and, and they were like, Hey, we're, we're laying this division off. And I think it was early January. And they're like, there's enough work to keep you on through the end of March, if you'd like to stay on. And at that point it was, it was a very quick decision that I weighed what I was doing, how I was doing it, the impact that it had and the potential of what was ahead that I was like, I'm good. Yeah. And, and I left. And, and you that, were like the first on the scene to do Texas style, which is like huge. Now yeah. you see it popping up all over the place. We, we, I mean, we had part of our, you know, like we would go and try other barbecue restaurants in town and just see what they're doing, you yeah. know? And that part of that was like, you know, if this place is doing, I was like, man, it's just, and Texas barbecue wasn't a thing. Yeah. And another plus of what we were working on was our sides. And having fresh, high-quality sides, uh, not to disrespect anybody or what they were doing back then, but sides were an afterthought yeah. in a lot of barbecue mm-hmm. restaurants. They opened up from a can or, or a bag, and, and um, you know, the southern thing is a meat and three, where you go and you get a good, you know, protein and three sides. Yeah. And, and why can't you cross barbecue and a meat and three mm-hmm. together? So um, fresh barbecue and high-quality sides was what we were driving on. And there just wasn't a lot of that so at the time in Atlanta. What Jonathan's talking about right now is having a unique selling proposition. Mm-hmm. You can't be like everything else. You have to stand out and you have to have your strengths. You have to know your strengths and lean into your strengths. Yeah. Uh, and, oh man, I had another thought that it'll come back to me. Just keep going. So I got laid off. We were going seven days a week. We were building our brand through catering and um, trying to manage that load. So I was like, now I've got to really start focusing on yeah. this. Oh, and- I, I remember the thought. It just came into my head. Uh, so I think the other thing that's really cool, too, is during this time, which is unique, 2002 to 2005, right? I think most people, if you said barbecue, it just meant cooking with fire. Yeah. They're, like we didn't know like regionality of barbecue was a thing, but people weren't aware of it yet because yeah. we were just so in our own little bubbles, right? And it's, it wasn't until like recently that like we really started like people. I would say probably the past ten years, people maybe fifteen years, probably within the past twenty years when you when you started to do this, 
people started to realize that there's different techniques out there and there's different approaches. There's regions, there's this whole world of barbecue that's starting to evolve and expand. Yeah. And, and also Atlanta is a transplant city. Yeah. So you, you find there are people that are, were born and grew up in Atlanta, but more often than not, they are coming from another yeah. city and, and, and missing something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there are a lot of people from Texas that yeah. live in Georgia yeah. or Atlanta. So, um, so it was kind of like, Hey, you know, these, there is something out there Yeah, and, and people kind of gravitated towards it pretty quickly. Yeah. There was a period of like 10, 15 years ago where I feel like there's where like social media started evolving. People started getting perspective and seeing outside their little bubble. And there was so much opportunity out there to do something special in your area by going to see what else, like what's happening in Texas. Let's bring that here. Let's be Mm -hmm. unique. It was easier in my opinion, 15, 20 years ago to have a unique selling proposition because of regionality. Yeah. Because people were just so in their bubble and it was easier to do something and stand out. Do you think it's harder today with how how diverse a food scene is? Well, people, people have, uh, preconceived notions you know it's it's people see especially like texas barbecue now is immensely it's hugely popular oh yeah and and people they want you know that picture you know and it's like i'll stand in line all day to get yeah and 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 i talk to um when i'm talking to our team you know it's like we have we have guys that work in our smokehouse that you know spend so much time prepping cooking you know and, and resting the product and then then somebody on the the line that is, you know, carving and serving that that product, and and I'm telling that person, I'm like, hey, this product, you you need that, you, you should find the respect for it because somebody spent a lot of time working on it to get to this point that it's at, and it can, it can be a success off your station or, or a mess, and you can take this product and just really knock it down to what it shouldn't be with just a missed slice or a miscut or something yeah, or just not caring about, about what you're putting up there. And then people, when they, they put it, when you put it down in front of them, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to look at it and it needs to like, Oh my God, look at that. Or they're going to take a picture. Yeah. So I was like, there's so much writing on your station, you know, yeah, execution's important. Yeah. It's not just a matter of like having a recipe, but it's how you execute that. Recipe, exactly. Right? Exactly. Um, and I think I might've taken you off your train of thought. Yes. So you, you thank you for getting into that though. But I, I, I have noticed that like, how do you stand out today? Like you have to like go to the other side of the world to bring something that's being done to like, cause there's so much diversity in food seeds everywhere in the country, you know? Well, I, I think we, what makes us stand out is just it, we we stick to our mission, which is you know fresh quality, you know just serving the best that we yeah. can, and and you know we always tell our staff just because we have it doesn't mean we have to serve it. Yeah, and and we want to make sure that when you come in, not only do you have a great um, experience, but but the food is was you know as it should have been. Yeah. So the, where we were in the storyline is you you got laid off. You had this option to stick with the company for a few more months to figure it out or to, to dive in full yeah. head with your, with your uh, barbecue. And um, man, I think that was such a great decision because of the fact that you were you had your unique selling proposition and the market, the Atlanta market, was yours. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't say it was mine, but but in the sense of barbecue, yeah. like Texas style barbecue. Yeah. Yeah. Like you were the only one doing Texas style, yeah. right? Uh, there were there were a couple spots. I wouldn't say they were doing 
they had brisket on the menu. Yeah. But I wouldn't say they were doing Texas style. But to, for your style, like you, you were a standalone. Yeah. Right? You we we call own. it, uh, we started calling it a mix of where we're at and where we're from. Mm. So, uh, our roots, but in the South. Got it. So what is the sell, the Southern element of what you do? Uh, a lot of the sides. So, yeah. The, the stewed sides. Got it. Um, uh, making our own stocks. And I mean, we're, we were smoking our own ham hocks for a while. So just, you know, kind of the flavors and the methods that, that, um, take to create those sides. So you were laid off in 2004 and you didn't open Fox bros barbecue until 2007. Mm-mm. No. So we stayed on building the brand, doing the catering and the seven days a week with our own menu at Smithsville bar. And over that time we, we we had the parties and then we were feeding i was cooking for our friends every saturday uh we would have friends come over i was working on you know menu items like our sauces um you know it's like one saturday um i was it was like college football and i was like let's let's cook some wings and i was like all right what am i going to do so i took our rub you know worked a you know, had a, created our rub recipe and, and seasoned them, smoked them. And, and they were like, man, these are great. I made a sauce for them. So these are all menu items that are still on our, our menu today. And we're, we're created during that time frame of just menu testing in front of our friends. And I would bounce ideas off of them. Like, Hey, what do you think of this? And they're like, Oh, it's too spicy or, Oh, that's great. Stick with that. Or, it should be a little more like this. So, kind did of, your ego ever get in the way? Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, I, I would listen to them, and because I, I looked at them as a, a consumer, because yeah. I was charging them, yeah. You know, but I was like twenty dollars a play, or yeah. I'll, you know, I was losing money, but uh, but I was getting feedback. Yeah. It's good to have your own identity, but at the end of the day, the market needs to like what you're doing. Exactly. Be open to that yeah. that feedback. So we were still serving at the bar, and 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 I'll never forget this day. Um. I, I was I went to the grocery store and I would say you know I was I was jobless but I was I was doing work and and I was walking out of the grocery store buying all everything that I needed to to start cooking the next day and a homeless guy walked up to me and was like hey can you spare anything and and I reached in my wallet and all I had was a twenty dollar bill and I gave him the twenty dollars. And, uh, I just didn't really think anything about it. And, um, and then I got in my car and as soon as I got in my car, my phone rang and it was a writer from the AJC, the Atlanta journal constitution. And he, he was like, Hey, do you have a second? I want to ask you some questions. And, and I was like, okay. And, uh, he's like, can you just verify this, your, your name and your web address? And, and I was like, okay, what's this for? And he's like, uh, you guys have, one runner up for best bar- barbecue overall in Atlanta. Wow. And we were serving out a Smith's bar and vacuum sealed bags that were microwaves. So, um, so that was, you know, just, that was a huge moment. You might be on the right path. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and at that time, once that happened, you know, our business really started picking up at the bar and we started selling out and, and I remember the owner was like, he would tell me, I, was like, I need to cook more. And I was like, I am maxed out on this <laughs> cooker. 
So are you pretty profitable at this time? Are you making about as much as you were making in your previous career? Or are you? I wouldn't say I was making as much as my previous career. But you didn't I was, have the security you had in your I didn't have career. the security, yeah. but I was, I was making money. And yeah. there was a lot of things that, that I didn't know about or... You know, there was a lot of, you know, I was, I was living, um, a pop-up life under the table. Yeah. So I, I, I remember I had to look in and file for an LLC, but I had no idea what that was, yeah. you know, claim ignorance. If you choose this path, exactly. did not listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's all the learning that yeah. I had to do. I had to play catch up. Yeah. But you know, uh, at the time, my the owner of the bar was like, cook more. And I was like, I can't. You know, I'm, I'm maxed out. And that's when we talked about we, we bought the next size up smoker. Yeah. Did you keep the other smoker? I kept the other ah, smoker. Nice. And uh, so uh, so I could cook more. And mm-hmm. he paid for it, and I just paid him back nice. over time. And uh, so then during that time, you know, we kind of built more of a relationship. I was I was... You know, I'd start off friends with with his son, but as we started getting more involved with the volume, uh, I got to know the father, the owner, and we started talking about, hey, let's take this to another level. And that would be the brick and mortar. The brick and mortar. So we're like, okay. Before we start talking about that, um, I think it's really important. Sometimes relationships go south, especially when things start going good. And you have this mindset of, of scarcity, right? And... How, how do you, it seems like this gentleman, you, you know, with $20 you gave away and his generosity to buy you that the smoker talk, do you know what I mean by a mindset of, of abundance? Mm-hmm. Get into that and why that's important here. Um, I, I really think that, you know, what I thought was like, this is, yeah, that $20 could go somewhere or I could apply it towards something, but this person, you know, needs it for something. And that $20 that I have is going to come and go a little quicker than maybe this person. Yeah. So, so if it meant more to that person than it did to me at the time, I just brought everything that I needed to buy to set myself up for the next day that would evolve into another invoice, which would evolve to another check. Yeah. And so I, I had things lined up. Yeah. And so, you know, just that little moment, try not to, try not to just dwell on, Hmm, what should I do here? You know, who is this guy? What is, you know, I was just like, Hey, here you go. Yeah. But just what was going through my mind when, um, so many, so often when there's six people start to have success, people involved in that success start to get greedy and say, no, this is my, I'm responsible for this success. No, I'm responsible. This is my, no, it's mine. But when you have that mindset of abundance where there's plenty for all of us and let's, let's, let's grow together. Let's, you know, like it could have gone south, you know, so often you hear about business relationships going south, especially when things start to get good and people start to get greedy. Right. I I've been in, in a position where I've been unemployed. Um, before my last job, I, I went a stretch where I wasn't working and, and things were tight. So I've been in a position where I was, you know, struggling and I, I have a friend who, you know, we have, we have our you know moments that are, you know, we don't agree on and, and I get aggravated, but I remember at the end of the day and I remember where we were, we were, we were driving. I was, I was, we were out of town and I woke up and I didn't get my unemployment check and I was broke and I was out of town. Yep. 
and I didn't know what I was going to do. And, and I was like, Hey, you know, you think you can spot me lunch? And he's like, yeah, man, I got you. You know, so that went a long way. So I was just like, I've been in in a position where I know whatever I have can go away. And especially with COVID. I mean, you learn, you know, no matter how successful you are, something can happen. Mm. And, and this could all be gone mm-hmm. like that. Yep. And then you're only as good as the relationships you have. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Yep. So, um, you know, you can be greedy, but when you got nothing to be greedy about, what good is it? Yeah. And the name is Dan Nolan, the guy that invests yeah. in you. Right. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and I just want to make an example of Dan because it's this mentality of, Hey, you have something, um, I can choose to be jealous because you're having all this success and, and try to like stifle you or whatever. Or I can say, how can I stoke the fire? How yeah. can I invest in you? How can we go further together? Yeah. Right. And they become the investor for your first restaurant. Correct? Yeah. I think I, I read that. Mm-hmm. Right. So now is a great time to take our first break to thank our sponsor. And we'll be right back to talk about how you made the brick and mortar happen. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often. Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash RSP. We're back, and now we're going to talk about how you guys made this brick-and-mortar scale and like what it was like because at this point you're just cooking barbecue yeah you're not running restaurants this is yeah. still this is still all so new to you but you do have somebody in your corner who is in the business yeah so take it from there so he, he had a lot of experience in starting businesses and i had none so it was good and and there's so many things that stand out from that that time frame but he was like let's just find a spot and, and, but there was no rush. It was like, when we find a spot, that's going to be the spot. And then we'll go then. So I would say it was maybe another year before we actually found it was, you know, it was definitely six months to a year. Yeah. It was a frustrating year because 
you know, you, you get that moment. One thing I, I was like, I always wanted to open a restaurant. I always wanted to open a restaurant and, and being, you know, someone who's hospitable and that's what you want to do. And you think it's going to be the answer to all your problems and, and just creating more problems. Yeah, yeah. What was I thinking? Yeah. Um, but you know, it's so frustrating that, yeah. you know, you, you get this carrot dangled in front of you, yeah. but it's like, you know, it's so far away that you're just like, yeah. like, come on. <laughs> yeah. and so, you know, we, we finally got to a spot where we, we found our, the location and, I remember he called me and he was like, Hey, it was like a, I think it was a Friday that we found it. He was like, I need you to drive by and check this spot out. And I was like, I looked at it and, and there was like this large fence around the building. And I wasn't familiar with the side of town that it was in, but I was like, mm, okay, I could see it. And it had a for rent sign on the, on the fence. And so we found it on a Friday he called about it. We he said, Hey, Sunday morning, let's meet over there. Go look at it. So whenever it was raining, we pulled up, looked at it. So this is after you think you already have your spot. You, you were committing to another spot. No, right? no, this no? is the oh, okay. only spot. Oh, okay. I thought maybe you were thinking like there's another spot that you're about to pull the trigger on. And there, this one, no. other one. Came mm-hmm. up. Sorry. Keep going. No, uh, we just waited. Like there was like no rush. Yeah. I think what in, in, in Dan Nolan's head, was the right spot it just has to be the right spot well that's important i think it's really like new people to the industry often get that tunnel vision yeah you're saying that's and and that's where like you just want to start yeah yeah and 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 his expertise and and you know being a business owner like he location 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 and i'm just like no i've got the product (laughs) yeah it doesn't matter where we put it the product yeah yeah (laughs) So we looked at it. We, we found the building on Friday. We looked at it on Sunday. And I think on Monday morning, we signed a lease. Wow. So what was so right about the space? Uh, it was on a main, main, a busy street. Uh, it was in a neighborhood. So there's a lot of walkable, um, you know, people could walk to it. Uh, it was close to an entertainment district. So. Uh, there was just a lot of traffic that goes in. Plus, uh, at that time, uh, it was on a virgin, a virgin east side of Atlanta. Yeah. You know, and I love that. I love it whenever people like people think they have to go into like the middle of everything to have, but the rents through the roof. Yeah, it's the best spot I've found listening to stories is on the edge. Yeah, because go as find out where the rent starts to come down and find out what neighborhoods are on the come up yeah. and get in before it gets crazy. Exactly. And being from the area, living, spending time in the area. Like at this point you guys were here for almost 10 years. So you're familiar with the different neighborhoods and what's on the rise yeah. and stuff and finding those spots on the edge. You're doing that right now. Looking across the street, yeah. there's new construction going up, yeah. right? Sorry to get ahead of you. So, so I didn't know anything. And he was like, he was like, yeah. So he, he had a, had a way of doing business and, and, um, and he was like, Hey, you know, I don't like the government in, in my, you know, and so he brought his, his brother out and his brother did a lot of, uh, construction work for him. Yeah. And so his brother just started demoing and building up. And, and I think it was when we filed for our liquor license that the, the zoning board in the neighborhood was like, 
you know, where's your building permit? Who's your contractor? And we were like, uh, he wasn't there to answer the questions. <laughs> I was there and I was like, uh, I know why you don't like the government yes. anymore. <laughs> so we wound up having to start back over, got oh. an architect, got a, you know, permit and did all that. So, so here's a lesson. Yeah. What's the lesson? Do the government is, you might not like them, but, but you need them. You need them. Yeah. And you got to follow their plan. Yeah. Cause they will shut you down. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, it took us, um, we, we eventually took us several months, but we, um, probably five, six months yeah. to, to build out. We were pretty much, um, on a, you know, we, we, we opened with very little, you know, money invested. So, so you didn't use the original footprint of the building that was there. You demoed that and you we demoed it. that, um, there was, there was the main building, but there was like this awning off of it that was like a covered patio. And I remember we built these walls up under the awning to make it kind of a semi-permanent structure. Um, so we had enclosed dining in, cause the original space, uh, it was an old gas station. Got it. So where the kitchen was, there was a, there was already a kitchen with a hood and everything. So, that space was really tiny, so we wouldn't have a lo- we wouldn't yeah. have a lot of. Were insight. you concerned about using? Because I know barbecue restaurants specifically run into a lot of issues with the neighborhood because of the smell. Not that yeah. it smells bad, but it's a it's a constant smell of barbecue, and not everybody wants that. Well, I know at the time there was a when we were going through all of our our um, our licensing and everything with the neighborhood, they didn't know who we were and. And there was a really popular breakfast spot down the street that was having, ironically, massive parking issues. Mm. And so we were on the docket with them, and we brought barbecue to the meeting to feed everybody. And Great way to make neighbors. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, the popular restaurant was on the docket before us. And, and I remember there was an hour that they were just like, like people were had pictures and charts and all those parking issues. And then it came to us and they're like, like, any questions? Nope. Okay. And (laughs) and so we're out. Um, So we built a smokehouse and we had these smokers and, and right after we opened, we had a neighbor like right on the backside of the smokehouse and it was a rental property. So he was, he was pretty, pretty easy going about it. He had issues with the smoke in the house. And, and, uh, so we wound up, we, we put these really high smoke stacks on. So it went over his house and, and that was pretty much the, that was our only issue for probably the first five years. And you don't want to shrug off your neighbors because that they'll cause trouble for you. Oh yeah. We got in trouble with the neighbors. Yeah. 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 As we, as we grew and, and, and expanded or not expanded, but as our business, um, grew and our customer base expanded. Uh, parking became yeah. we became the parking. Problem. Yeah, yeah. So you guys exploded. We did. Yeah. We did. And I so going back, I, you know, when we opened, um, you know, so so speaking of my brother, he he had a lot of restaurant front of house experience. I, I cooked in the kitchen briefly. Yeah. 
I had some server experience, but um, I'd been working in the computer industry. So I had, you know, not a lot of experience. So my brother was going to run the, the front of house. I was doing the back of house. You know, there's a lot of, at the time when we opened, I mean, I thought it was like, I was like, man, we we're opening a restaurant. I'm going to, I'm going to be rich, famous, retire. No, no one knew who we were. Um, I'd never worked with a staff before. I'd yeah. never managed a staff before. I didn't even have recipes. Yeah. I just knew how to make it. I knew how everything should look, cook, and, you know, and taste. Yeah. Well, almost all first restaurants, businesses are people dependent, right? Yeah. They're an extension of the people that are there. And if those people aren't there, then the restaurant doesn't work that day. Yeah. Right. If then over time, once you, you can replace yourself with other people in systems, right? And it's a, it's a swing. It doesn't happen overnight. I think a lot of people get caught up because they, they, they become aware they study business. They're like, I need to have all my systems in place on day one. The truth is whatever you think it's going to be, yeah, it's gonna is be not going to be the yeah, case. It's going to be the opposite. So just start and then slowly start making systems and slowly start removing yourself from, from the process. Yeah. Day. we So we brought in several people yeah. from the bar that worked and had known, knew our product and helped us open. And then we hired a couple people and I was having to train them and I was training them without recipes. I was training them how to cook the sides, how to smoke barbecue, especially because time and temperature are two recipes. That's a part of the, those are ingredients. And everybody has different taste buds. Yeah. They, they, they have different levels of care. Yeah. And, and, um, so time, temperature and humidity. Yeah. 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 It's all factors. And, And, um, it was hard uh, because I, you know, we were not, we were struggling at first. We were not successful because we were not operators. Yes. And we were trying to survive being someone who was so hands on. Yeah. And, and I mean, we were working 20 hour days. Wow. And, and just, you know, it was like we, we were killing ourselves. Yeah. And usually I, I give my, my guests a, a warning before we get started and I say, I ask personal questions. Yeah. And it's not to be a dick. It's not to exploit yeah. you. It's because this is where people get in trouble. Yeah. Because people aren't willing or are nervous or afraid or it's too personal to talk about money and what I did wrong. But can you get into what you were doing wrong, knowing what you know now about the economics of a barbecue restaurant? And looking back then, like what were the things that you were doing that you're just like, wow, what the hell were we doing? Well, managing, uh, managing people, mm-hmm. um, people wouldn't show up. Um, you become, uh, you learn that people take advantage of you. Mm. Uh, and that's just the, the people management, you know, you're like, oh, you become so dependent on, on this person being here to help you that, you know, they're, they may have some issue come up or they, you know, I, they, there's a lot of good people out there, but there's some bad people out yeah. there and, and you can't delineate which, 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 which are which yeah. because you're so focused. focused. Yeah. Um, and then there's the whole aspect of, of operating the business, running the business, food yeah. costing. Exactly. Um, you know, which you're just, you're, you're going through, you're having to order stuff, but you're not, you're just like, Oh, you know, let's order this, 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 and this, you know, keeping inventory yeah, and things like that. So we were, we were struggling. 
And, and I remember, um, after the first four to six months, we were only open for dinner time because we would cook everything and then we cook all day and then open up at four o'clock or five o'clock and, and we weren't ready to open up for lunch, which, which I look now and a lot of barbecue places open up earlier, but we were like, we would cook everything all during the day, all the sides, everything, and then yeah. serve it. And, you know, there was, we, there was a lot of waste and, and we'd have a lot of leftover product. We didn't know what to do with it. You know, a lot of food got thrown away and, and, um, so our food, our food costs, you know, our food cost percentages were really high. And, um, so we stopped and we met and, and we had, a um, a, you know, our partners hired this consultant to come in and kind of walk us through. And that started the, that started the learning. I'd learned everything as far as cooking food. Yeah. Now I had to switch gears. I had to, I did write recipes. Were you everything. were you profitable at this time, or were you operating in the red? We we're operating in the red. Yeah. Do you but, mind like how how deep were you in? I, I you know I, it was so long ago. I yeah. don't remember. Luckily, you know our our um, our labor was low because we didn't have a lot of people, yep. um, and they they were working at the bar too. So, um, but our rent was really low. Yeah. Um, so we knew we had to fix it, yeah. though. And that's one of the – it's funny that you're pointing out because one of the cool things about bar- barbecue and what it's known for is the good barbecue places that know what they're doing, they sell out every day. Yeah, yeah. And it's because they know they know exactly how much they need to make. They, like you said, they, they're up all night cooking, and then they open at like 10 a.m. or 11, right? And it, we, we're open until we sell out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and then you, But then you, there's zero waste, right? Yeah. Um, is this – did you did the consultant come in and, and – identify this or like where did this consultant help so he worked with us on inventory and creating recipes and and consistency that was our main problem is our product went from being consistent to not being consistent and so we had to evaluate what we were how we were cooking things um how we're holding things, everything. Every, we just had to kind of reanalyze everything. So what did that process, let's start with inventory. Why, why was inventory something that he identified right away? What were you doing and how did he help you? Cause we were ordering more on the fly. We were like, Oh, we need this. We yeah. need, we need sometimes this you don't know until you know, yeah, right? we weren't setting par yeah, levels. Exactly. We weren't doing anything like, you know, you just guess. Make it, yeah. 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 We're just guessing. Yeah. We, we didn't know what we had no basis on what our, our sales volume was going to be. So we, we, I was just like, Oh, people are going to show up. Yeah. You know, what happens when people don't show up? Yeah. That, that was, the, that was the main thing was we had to, we had to be humbled first because we went into it with a high. Yeah. You know, we, we earned all this runner up Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. We, and, and I thought everyone knew who we were Yeah, only to find out when we opened that people had no idea yeah. who we were mm. or what we were. You know, it was just like, who are you guys and why in your food like this? So where was your, so what, when he was done with you, what did that inventory process look like? What did he bring to the table? Well, we kind of (laughs) ended, it's funny. We, we ended that relationship when, when he kind of proposed buying into it. So we were like, uh, well, this is kind of a one-sided thing. (laughs) So, 
uh, we, we will take your feedback and, and we will appreciate your time. So he wanted to barter his services yes. for equity in the business. Yeah. And yeah. We we're like, okay. And, but it, it kind of gave us some talking points to, yeah. of things to start focusing Give on. Give you a list of things to work yeah. on. Uh, we yeah. started, we hired a manager, you know, that had some experience at least managing, that could manage some people. Um, I mean, we were working every shift. Were there any resources you found that were helping you, like online? Because the yeah. online world is a thing now around this time. I yeah. know restaurantowner.com was a thing during this time. No. Um, it wasn't? I, we didn't have time to, you know, it was just like kind of started talking to people. And, and the the restaurant that he, the, the consultant was managing was a very high volume, very popular restaurant in town. And so we felt like he at least had the experience to come in and, and kind of guide us. Um, we didn't get as much as we wanted from him, but at least opened our eyes. He gave you that punch list. Yeah, to start yeah. start focusing yeah. on some things. So yeah. it took us a couple of years to really, um, and, and that included eventually just stepping back and finally taking a vacation. Because mm. I don't sometimes you got to slow down to speed up. Yeah, yeah, and um, so. You know, we, we, we started hiring a staff to, to do things. My brother and I were working every day. We were either opening, either I would open, he would close, or vice versa. Um, we'd pull manager shifts and manage the store and oversee the kitchen. We were hiring chefs and managing the chefs. And it was just, it was, it was a lot, you know, kind of working with them on inventory, learning to do um, payroll. Uh, all this, all this stuff, everything operating in a restaurant on the fly over the course of that two years. So, two, so two thousand seven is when you opened the brick and mortar, mm-hmm. right? When would you say you started to figure things out? I would say definitely after the first year, um, things started to happen a little easier. I remember there was when I when I think things started turning around was a, a TV reporter had come in. And he was like, "Hey, I want to, I want to come do a morning segment with you guys." He's like, "I love your brisket." I am curious. At any point, did your food start to slip? Like, because it was slipping at first. So we we kind of relearned how to work because I was used to cooking it. And well, when you start to get tired, when you start to work like that, your standards start to go down because you start to get burnt out. Well, that's that's where we realized that we needed recipes. Yeah, recipes, methods. Um, what we did was, you know, we were making barbecue sauce, we were making our rub. Um, so I started outsourcing that to, luckily I had a a connection with a a Mm co-packer for our barbecue sauce. So that's one of the first things we did. I was like, I started working one by one to make our recipes and our items consistent Yeah, because you're not in barbecue, especially you're not going to succeed unless you're consistent. Yeah. Um, so why outsource to a co-packer versus having that done in-house? Um, consistency, the main one. Yeah. And, um, and then having it readily available. And then there would be shifts where, you know, we'd run out of barbecue sauce. Yeah. You're a barbecue restaurant and you can't run out of it. Yeah. Because we'd have to, we'd have to stop and cook it or somebody would make it wrong. Yeah. And, you know, so I just, luckily I, I, talked to somebody about it before we opened that yeah. that I had their information and and they they were quick to turn it around. Yeah. Um what are what are the economics of that though? Like is it 
as cost effective to outsource it than to hire people to make it over time? It wound up working out better. Um, because of volume? Because you're because doing of volume, so yeah. And, um, and the labor of, of having it, holding it, it was shelf-stable. Yeah. Um, you know, we were, we were making everything and... and, and uh, either you know it would either burn or you know and we'd have to hold it in large containers in our walk-in which is already you know full yeah so um you know now we've evolved to where you know our our um you know cisco yeah purchase the sauce from our co-packer holds it for us and delivers it to us when we need so um, it was that start of that relationship. Got it. Um, so what were the, the big things? If you can identify, like you, you had this punch list, you started going through it. Like I like to use the analogy of shifting gears. Like there's usually something that you do that like, oh, I need systems, right? Like let's create systems. Yeah. Second gear. Oh, we need inventory, like a process for inventory. Third gear, right? Oh, we need to do menu engineering and we need to figure out down to the penny what we're spending and how we need and like what we need to charge to get our 10% or our 15%, whatever we think is our, what we want. Right? So what were these aha moments for you? Like reflecting back the big impacts, the big shifts that helped you get to the point in 2011 where you can start, you know, putting Fox bros barbecue on autopilot and like, let's go open other stuff. I think it was really when we saw our first, um, uh, food cost percentage that, and then, yeah. yeah. And then we saw like how much money we were losing and, and how we needed to get these numbers down Yeah, and, and to start working on trying to figure out how to get it down. And how did you, what, like, where did you go to learn about this? Who was teaching you this? I just learned what we did was we went over the basic steps to figure it out internally and basically taking your inventory, um, having a price with everything, and then driving those numbers down with your sales and 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 your menu costing to get to ultimately what number you need to do and know that every little point percentage point matters. Yeah. And it was just it I mean, it's still I'm still learning yeah. all that. I mean, we, we have you know, we have a once a month meeting right now with, with our chefs. Plus on, the technology is getting better yeah. where you can do this like even with less, uh, yeah. what's the word I'm looking for? Resistance, right? Yeah. Because so, it, it, you know, I'm still like, Hey, I can go out and create this great product. You know, this, this, like I'll, I'll give you an example. We were just talking about, um, a couple of years ago, I'd come up with the fry flour as a blend that had all these starches and everything in it. Um, but it had like, um, um, like a batter bind and, and, um, uh, crisp coat. So it's things stay crispy longer. Well, through the pandemic and everything, we found out that that was an expensive item and we could, we could, you know, make twice as much of that flour at half the cost, mm. not using all that stuff. And it was, a you know, especially with, with inflation and everything going up, you really start looking at all your numbers and going, Hey, how can I make the most get this number down? And, and because when inflation goes up and our food costs are going up, we're raising prices to the consumer and we can only raise our price so much. So yeah. how can we keep the price for an item that's already considered um, that should be low cost, which isn't, um, and not price our customer out? Mm. 
So, you know, it's always learning that and trying to figure out how to get that food cost number now. Yeah. You, you, I'm going to save this for later, but this okay. is something that I push back on. And, I, and I, I recognize, I agree with you that in today's market, you have to be mindful of what your consumer is willing to pay. But I think that there needs to be kind of a better relationship with the consumer and restaurants because the consumer needs to know that. Oh, this I agree 100%. Something. Yeah. 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 So th- I think there needs to be a fundamental shift. Reset. Where we start pushing back on the consumer and say, no, you don't need a new pair of sneakers this week. You need to put, you need to support your community and pay the the value of this service. I I think, like especially barbecue. I mean, (laughs) barbecue should be priced like fine dining. I mean, with the amount of time and and effort it takes to put into it, you know, it should be price and you, you can't be the best unless you have the resources to attract onto yourself the people who can execute that to be the best so the quality of the product that we use and the quality that we serve i mean it should demand a you know a, a higher price yeah but, I, th- I think that there's a, a a weird dynamic and i think we the restaurant industry created this false uh this false interpretation of the value of food but because of the corners we cut over the past 50 years to streamline process and to scale business, right? And now people think that it's normal to have a $3 burger or a $5 yeah. burger. And that's not okay for the businesses and for your health. No. And for the, the environment. You and, know, and, and you there's want, a ripple effect. Yeah, and you want, your, you want your team to have you know, a good quality of life too. And so you're, you know, you're raising the pay for your staff. But it also takes the industry banding together to realize we shouldn't be undershooting each other. No. We should figure out what it takes me to make my money, my profit, profit first. I want 15%. That's okay. Yeah. And, and I have discussions. <laughs> I have discussions with a lot of, a lot of barbecue owners across the country yeah. about what they're charging and, and, and what the feedback is yeah. from the consumer that's, that's, you know, paying that much. Bake that profit into your mm-hmm. operation. Yeah. Take that fucking profit. Mm-hmm. Part of my language. Yeah. But you need to take that. 20% is okay. Yeah. You, you need to give yourself permission to make that money and reverse engineer it. And I think we need to talk as an industry and say, no, like, we need to take care of ourselves. We need to take care of our people. And this is the only way we do this is by transforming the consumer, consumer and educating the consumer. Exactly. But anyway, I meant to hold off, but I opened yeah. that can of words. And I was, like, this part of one of my missions with the show is to educate people and say, we need to share information. But I digress. So I'm going to run through your, your, your timeline right now. And as I'm running through this, think about the things that you think were like, yeah, that was like, that was a big like evolution for us operationally as a, as a as a group. So 2007 you opened, 2011 you opened uh, Texas themed Big Tex, uh, which you end up closing, but we'll we'll save that. Yeah. Uh, 2014, um, you so see you become the, the uh, official barbecue supplier of the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah. 2000 again in 2014 you close Big Tex. 2016 uh, you have a kiosk. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, Feel free to correct me after this if I miss any big parts. Uh, 2017, um, you have uh, SunTrust Park, but now it's Trust Park. Trust Park, yeah. Trust Park. The SunTrust changes. That's your, your second location, right? Yeah. Uh, your third location opens in the tap room at the Battery. Well, that's, that's at the uh, SunTrust. Got it. Thank you. Uh, then you have a, a Tex-Mex a Q at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I'm not sure what these things are, but you can fill me in later. And then 2021, you open the, the location that we're at here. Yeah. So as you're evolving and doing all these things, take us like maybe you're reflecting over the past 20 years, right? What, what life was like, but like what were the key evolutions for you to get to that point where you can do all these things? 
So big techs, um, big techs opened in, in little neighborhood Decatur. Um, that came from uh, our partner, Dan Nolan, um, found a spot and he always felt like, you know, Fox brothers, our original location was a destination and couldn't be replicated. Um, uh, he was, you know, that old school mindset, Hey, you know, you can't, you can't replicate this. So we're going to go focus on something else like the Fox brothers take on Texas, Tex-Mex or Texas. Your roots. Yeah. Um, when we were more focused on, on, um, trying to grow Fox brothers brands. Yeah. Um, but there was the direction we were driven in. So we were, I wouldn't say we were, we were 100% all on the same page when we opened big tax yeah. and, and everybody wanted it to be something, um, which learned, which what we learned from that is, is come in and have a unified concept yep. and, and a unified direction yep. and, and then, drive that this lane. is huge yeah this is this is a big aha moment yeah. right yeah. This, we recently had kathleen wood on the show i don't know if that name is familiar but she talked about the power of one mm-hmm. and it's the power of one for me to stay focused but it's also the power of one for the the group to stay focused yes we need one voice and and one vision and right? it, it, what it is it gets confusing to to everyone that works for you when there's so many people coming in and having an opinion chefs in the kitchen exactly yeah. and 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 you have a muddled when when everybody starts adding too many seasonings to a pot yeah then the flavors get muddled yeah. so um so that was a um unsuccessful um venture yeah that we learned but also the the success what what happened and why we eventually closed it was it wasn't performing uh just mainly on um uh volume uh we didn't have the volume that we thought we'd have and it wasn't the best uh, you know the location wasn't the best but at the time fox brothers was like we were busting at the seams we weren't able to our kitchen was so small the volume of food and the eventual catering that we were taking our catering we couldn't meet the demand out of that kitchen so and plus our neighborhood that was, was starting to come at it with, with you know, <laughs> like we can't park, <laughs> we can't park, you yeah. know, there's just so many people. And, uh, so we shut big text down more or less for the next year to use the kitchen as a, as a catering. Did you own the property? We didn't own the property. Okay. We just, we leased it. Got so, it. but you were still paying that lease and it was shut down for a year. Yeah. But, yeah. But you were doing well enough that you could afford it to, through the, catering. Yeah. yeah and, and, uh, we just, we factored that, that, that part of the business into our catering. Um, while we were looking for a new commissary, yeah. uh, to, to, so we, we found a, another commissary, but then it took construction you know, permitting and everything to, so we, we use that space as our commissary kitchen. Yeah. So. You know, there's, we were actually talking to Damien from real uh, tacos. I don't mm-hmm. know if you're familiar with the brand and the person, but Great uh, yeah. So he, he brought to this, this notion of like, Hey, like I didn't have any bad uh, habits cause I wasn't a restaurant person, much like you, you weren't really a restaurant person before getting into this, but he was a business person and he had this, this realization that like I could, invest my energy into a bunch of different brands and, or I can invest in one brand because the truth and the, the secret in this, the game of restaurants is 
the money, if you want to scale something, the money is developing a brand. The brand is what holds the value, Yeah. right? You have the assets and the things that you do. Like you have assets in the building. If you own that, you have assets in the, the equipment that you have. You have assets in the people. You're developing people, right? But really, if you want to scale something, you want to sell something to make big money later, it's in growing that EBITDA, right? The, the value of everything, the value of the mm-hmm. brand. And it's easier to do that if you put all of your energy into one thing. Yeah, right. exactly. And if you do one thing really well, barbecue yeah right so does this did this realization come across you yet or are you still not have you figured that out or we when we shut down big text that was that was our our new focus is is, hey okay now we're back on track yeah let's grow this so we went and we um the falcons had produced or approached us about serving at the stadium at the time they were the was in the old georgia dome mercedes-benz hadn't been built yet so we jumped on board and uh, started selling. We became a, a partner with them, you know, as, as a, a way to promote the brand as well. Aligning, we could put, you know, the partnership we looked at is we're growing our sauce on the retail side and in, in being in, in grocers and uh we could put the logo on our sauce bottles and things like that. So, you know, we're, we're trying to find ROIs on, on, on that investment. So, you know, that opened us up to, you know, we knew the George dome was, had a limited time frame, and the pie, the big pie was going to be Mercedes Benz stadium um, with all the events and the exposure was going to come there. So we, we went ahead and, and did that and, evolved into Mercedes-Benz. So it was, everything was, was brand focused and in, in trying to promote the brand. And we still only had one restaurant, you know, it's like, I remember being on these, you know, partner events with the Falcons and, you know, there's like major corporations and they're like, they're like, Oh, I love Fox brothers. How many, how many locations do you have? You're like, one, <laughs> I was one, kind of, one busy one, but I, yeah, we have one. When I saw the partnership with the Falcons, I kind of assumed that you probably had a venue within the stadium. Yeah, so we had we we had a uh, a couple spots in there that we were yeah. serving. And then when Mercedes Benz opened, we had four spots. Um, we had one main spot. When you all when you walk into Mercedes Benz, there's three entrances in one fixed area and our stand was the main stand that everybody sees when you walk in. Were you smoking there or were you, okay. This is what, this is why we needed the commissary. Yeah. Uh, When we started at the Georgia Dome, everything was coming out of the restaurant, catering and then the stadium and then we're having to staff it. I mean, we learned strains, um, you know, how to, we put, we put our team under a lot of pressure, you know, to, not not because we felt like we needed to succeed, but we thought that growing the brand was easier. And we learned that growing like that came with a lot of sacrifices. What were uh, the sacrifices? Well, we put a lot of pressure on our team. Mm. Um, a lot of, um, it was, it, we were cooking a lot of food. Yeah. And relying on everybody to, Stretching people a little too thin. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's yeah. culture starts to suffer. Yeah. yeah. So that was, you know, the, I would say in the last three years before COVID, um, the, 
reevaluating culture, you know, became our, our key drive. What were the key differences you made in your culture? Uh, making sure there's quality of life, um, making sure we, what we had was we had a lot of people and great. We're grateful for that. We have a lot of people that work for us that, that, um, are heavily like, uh, into what we do. And it was like, they would, they were afraid to make a mistake. So we say we have people that are, that, like what we do. Are we talking about your team? Your employees? Our team, yeah. yes, yes. So the pressure on them, the, the execute your standards. They they really were were behind our belief and our vision and the product and everything that we were doing. That the pressure that that was really putting on them to perform, we found was more negative than positive. Yeah, what they weren't was- coming. They weren't coming to us with mistakes. Um, they were afraid to, we wanted to make sure that we, Hey, we're open. Like that's not part of learning. Like, you know, if you're going to make a mistake, let's move forward. Let's find out what we did wrong and let's, let's not do that. But you have to communicate that. But we have to communicate. You got to open the door. If you, if the, you know, ahead of time that you're not going to succeed, then come to us. Yeah. And we can work together to succeed because that's what we're all here yeah. for. Open communication is something that has to be taught. Exactly. And it has to be baked into your culture. It has exactly. to, there has to be process developed for it. If this, then that, yeah. you know, if you have an issue, then it gets brought up during the weekly meeting. Yeah. Right. Or like you go through the chain of command or whatever, but we're here to grow. We're here to communicate. And the hardest thing to do is change. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's my biggest fault is, is in my wife will, she'll, she'll agree. She's like, you're a creature of habit. Mm. And and sometimes the hardest thing to do is to change and, yeah. and you need to just stop and then reset and then work on changing. And, and, and I remember we, we had hired, we were working with so many people that we'd been working with for so long that a lot of, you know, what I, you know, what I was trying to change couldn't change unless we stopped and changed some of the people that were, yeah, Exactly. And behind every great restaurant is great people. Yeah. And one of the reasons why I'm such a huge fan of The Power of Habit and Atomic Habits, these two books, is because you can't change your restaurant until you change. And we are creatures of habit. The mind is developed to take the path of least resistance because this big freaking thing in our brains is massive, mm-hmm. bigger than any other species per like, ratio of our brain to our body. It takes up a lot of energy and your your body, your brain has evolved to, to, to lean into habit. So you don't have to exhaust that energy to, to do ch- things that aren't habit. Yeah. So if you are aware of how your brain works, you can develop new habits, but it's not easy, but it's totally possible. Uh, so if you want to change your business, you don't, don't look at your business and say, what's wrong with my business. Look at me and say, what's wrong with me and how can I change? So my business will change, will ripple. It starts with, it starts with me, you know? Yep, exactly. I love that. So, what can we talk about, man? And all the things I'm looking at the time. Time's going by so fast. We're already at an hour and a half of recording time. But I want to make sure we're we're talking about what you think we need to talk about. Is there something that you think needs to be educated? uh, Something that you think you can uniquely, from your story, advice that you think you can uniquely offer our listeners that only can come from you. I really think. If you 
believe in what you're doing, um, you need to believe in letting other people help you do it. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I, I am, I am a person who is just, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I, you know, if, if, if I'm like, Hey, let's email this person and let's, let's reach out to so-and-so and let's see, you know, if we can line this up and, if I haven't felt like that's happened quick enough, I'll jump on and just do it. But I need to let myself go and you need to let the people that you are there to help you help. It takes an army. Yeah. Um, and this is, you're striking a chord with me. I'm actually going through this with restaurant unstoppable right now where it's, it's getting to the point where you feel like it's almost your responsibility. Everything has to pass through you. You're the gate, the gatekeeper for the, the quality the brand, the values you stand for. And if you don't have your hand in anything, it might get away from what you want it to be. And you almost feel like you have to protect your people. Right. Yeah. Is that, is that one thing that? I, one thing I've learned is, is, you know, uh, um, uh, Kara, who's our, our operations director, she'll, she'll hit me up and she'll be like, Hey, so this is, this is an issue. You know, are you okay with it? And, I'll look at it and I'll, I'll, I'll gauge it. I'll be like, yes, I'm not okay with it, but I don't care enough to fight it. So I'm going to let that one go. Yeah. You got to pick your battles. Yeah. 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 But this is something like, I, like I'm going through myself is this like, if you want to grow something, you can only do so much. You can only have your hand on so many things. You can only be good at so many things, but the business needs a lot of people that are good at a lot of different things, right? That's why we're tribal creatures. Like yeah. we, we evolved over hundreds of thousands of years to coexist in a tribe of people. We all had specialties, right? The fact that we're diverse is a good thing because collectively we're better, right? Yeah. You have to recognize that and stay in your lane and surround yourself with those people who are strong or you're weak. What's going through your mind? Currently? Yeah, like you're I'm, shaking your head. I'm just, well, I'm thinking, like, I'm trying to go back and think about, like, what what are some other things I could tell? Like, you know, it's like, think about things like, hey, do I really enjoy what I'm doing enough to make it my life? Mm. Um, a lot of questions that, you know, you can you should ask yourself. Because I missed a, lo- a, a large chunk of, of, you know, when I mentioned, when I referenced not going to on that vacation, you know, I often look back at that, say, should I have gone on that trip? Should I focus the time on, on something? You know, life, life is, you have one life and, and should I have been that wrapped up in work to, to focus on it? But are you so driven by the end, what you want your end goal to be to know that you're going to sacrifice all those times? Is that what you really want to do? Yeah. Well, that's a weird I think, I think there's what you said, but there's also the FOMO, the fear of missing out, right? And you can go go on vacation and live this life that you see other people living and you're jealous of what they're doing. Like, oh, I wish I could do that. Or you could put all of your energy into to doing something meaningful, yeah. right? And there's a lot of reward in that, you know, in, in, in accomplishing something and building yeah. something. Yeah. So, like, there's that balance you have to find. And, I mean, I don't know, man, like... Travel's great, but like it can also be tough. Yeah, in theory, <laughs> take it from me. <laughs> just miss, missing yeah. those times, you yeah, know. Yeah, you're because you're so focused on 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 your what you're trying to build. So you're trying to say be more mindful of the work life balance. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you mentioned quality of life, right? Like with your team, and like and again, if you're 
standards are so high and you're willing to sacrifice so so much, your team looks at you and goes, that's the expectation, that's the standard. Yeah. Does that kind of come full circle now? Yeah. And, and we just, you know, we're, we're kind of knee deep in something right now where uh, we're, we're serving our food on Delta flights. And, and so this is something that, that came about um, late last year, earlier this year. And um, it started off as something that was going to be temporary and small and it evolved and it really hit full steam. Um, they go in four month menu cycles of about four months ago. And I learned um, to work with our team. Um, I was working with their chef team on some menu items and, and it came to when there was miscommunication on uh, their team and my team and, and getting together where they were supposed to send me some volume numbers for us to produce and he did, they didn't do it. And then their purchaser sent our operations team, the numbers, and there was a quick freak out moment. And, um, so we put a lot of, we put a lot of pressure, you know, on our, our team to, you know, to, to, to perform. Demand, yeah. And, and so we, we walked away we sat down and we had a, you know, like what not to do, like, what can we do better next time? We sat down with their team and we sat down with our team, like, Hey, let's, let's, let's align this. If, if we're going four months, you know, let's, let's schedule things and, and let's work together on future menu items and how we're going to roll it out and how we're going to talk about volumes. And so we can be prepared yeah. to all be on the same page when we're, we're going there. So, um, you know, those are some of those brand versus quality of life, Yeah, you know, where you always think you're there, but you've got to keep learning how not to fall back to yeah. that. And even if you have to learn to grow, you have to also have to learn to stay relevant because yeah. the world we live in grows and changes. Yeah. yeah. So if you're staying still, the world's advancing ahead of you. Yeah. And, and, and things are on a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a TV or, you know, I don't even know if you call it a TV cycle now where, you know, there's going to be a commercial break and they're going to come back from that commercial and your story's not going to be there anymore. Yeah. One thing I did want to talk to you about, I think you're really good at diversifying your product offer uh, and these collaborations, finding opportunity to get out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you have, you're really good with your, your swag. You have these gift cards you sell. You're, you're doing kiosks. You know, you're, what advice do you have? And the thing you collaborate with a lot of people too, Delta, mm-hmm. Mercedes-Benz, like uh, the, the stadiums. What advice do you have for us for like growing and, and, and finding these opportunities? Do they come to you? Or do you seek them out? They're going to come to you and, and you really need to understand I, I, what I learned is, is early on, um, uh, the airport was expanding or there were there, the management company was changing. So there was going to be a lot of this new, um, the local brand were starting to take off it, and um, so a lot of people were coming to us at the airport, you know, saying, Hey, we're interested in you coming in here. And so you think, okay, you know, I'm going to, we're going to be in the airport. And you're like, do you really want to be in the airport? These are all the questions that we're asking ourselves. But what we found out was there was a whole process. And a lot of these companies come out and they put these bid packages together featuring these brands. And so we've always thought, Hey, they're coming to us. They want us in the airport. When 
we spent money on legal and and all this you know branding and only for it to go nowhere so we learned people are going to come to us and they're going to pitch any idea they have an agenda and it might not align with your agenda so spend some more time looking into it a lot of people come up and they they ask me hey i'm i've been approached about this especially when mercedes-benz opened up the local brand initiative was was huge there and we had experience with doing it and a lot of other restaurant tours didn't so they all came to me and were like what do you think and i was like well you need to you need to be prepared for this and like what give me an example like you're gonna have to staff it mm. you're gonna have to you know have x amount of people available you have to prepare the food create all the systems for yes. that new process yes. of, of executing through this vertical yes yeah. you're you're basically opening a restaurant operating a restaurant but you don't have to go through and build it out so yeah. are you going to be able to do that you know every sunday or whatever you know and and Everything you say yes to is something else you have to say no to. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And and sometimes saying yes isn't right, the right thing to do. Yeah. So um, just. So what are the, the simple things we can do to make sure we're staying on track to what our core values are, to what our mission and vision are? Like, how do we keep that center line? How do we not get distracted by shiny objects? Don't get distracted by shiny yeah. objects. You know, think about it. Uh, just stop and slow down. It's almost like. When, when when somebody's angry and I tell them to take a walk around the, the building, it's like stop and slow down for a minute and really just think, does the, at the end of the day, uh, is this right for me right now? Yeah. It may be right for me in five years, but is it right for me right now? Yeah. This is exactly why we have visions, core values, missions, all these things, because we, that's a filter to put things through. Mm-hmm. Is this where we said we're going to be in 10 years? Like, yeah. no, then if it's not a fuck, yeah, it's a, it's a no. Yeah. Right? We, we started this project, the, our new location at the works here started before COVID and, and it, it took us eight years. I want to say to find our right location. Um, we looked at so many different things. That's one thing that I learned was the process of, of finding another location was, um, I dealt with people finding out what bad deals were to initially bring on a broker to handle those deals for us. And, um, you know, we just, we, we worked on everything to find the right spot and it was pre COVID. And at the time I was like, you know, we, we amassed a team that was going to be like culinary director, you know, operations director. And, and I was like, I will go out and I'll find our location. And then when we get under construction, I'll pass it off to my team and I'm going to go on and find the next location. Yeah. Well, that didn't work anymore. So it was like, Hey, what's our strategy next? And I was like, let's slow down and really spend more time strategizing about what is going to make sense, you know, moving forward. Yeah. I've loved this conversation, man. Um, so now is at the point of the conversation where I kind of remind the listeners that our mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. Definitely inspired by your story, man. It's a Appreciate great story. It. Gave us some great advice, great empowerment. This idea of transformation, where are we now as an industry? And as somebody who's been in this industry now for 20 years, 22 years, um, or you know, cooking, you opened your restaurant in 2007, but you know, you've been feeding people for over 20 years. Where are we headed and how can we head into the future intentionally? Uh, 
you know, intentionally and um, just as as aware as a po- as possible. You know what I'm saying? As a collective, as a whole, as an industry. Well, I'm a, I'm afraid, uh, you know, it's <laughs> good. <laughs> that means it's going to be a good answer. <laughs> you know, we, when we opened up, uh, a recession started right after we opened, yeah. and and at the time, I think, you know, we our business grew almost twenty percent over each year as a, that recession started, and I think fine dining took a hit. Uh, I'm afraid that we see. Uh, if we have another recession come, I'm not sure where, with, with where we are with post COVID. I, I, I don't know. I, I think, I think the, we're already hobbling. Yeah. you like, we're already on one on a knee. Right. And, and so I'm just not sure what, what's going to happen. Um, I, I see like everyone uh, and I love the inspiration with all the pop-ups and everything that's happening today. And um, as that continues to grow, you know, is, is there going to be a future for, you know, are, are food halls a future? Are, you know, are is there going to be like think tanks for pop-up tanks, you know, or, uh, where where people can come into a building and build out a, a brand and how do they evolve from that? Yeah. Incubators. Right? Yeah. yeah. I, I think there's so many things that, um, it's growth. The, the, the business is grow. The, you know, this restaurant industry is growing, but is it growing too fast? I wonder that sometimes too. I mean, there's, there's more restaurants per capita now than ever before. Um, what my one, I mean, people are still going to need to eat and people are going to go to the best places. Right. So I think part of the issue of why we're seeing this is because retail has taken such a hit and there's so much space out there mm-hmm. like that has been built and there's nothing that works inside that space. And space is expensive. Yeah. We were just having this conversation the other day. If whoever can figure out what will work in retail space and like invents a whole new vertical, a whole new segment of business. Yeah where it's like experience based, right? Maybe it's a place where you can go and do VR stuff. Who knows? Like, but it, you don't want to invest that in equipment, but you need the physical space to be able to, to, to move around safely, like a padded room or whatever the fuck it is, you know, like, I don't know, but I'm there with you. But I think what's going to happen is it's, it's just going to force us to get better. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing, you know, uh, because there's only so many people that can go around and there's only so much business out there. And like you said, but like people, people are going to, go to the best. So I think it's going to force us to get better. And the, the people who aren't willing to do those things are going to just fail. Yeah. You know, and but, the, the main thing is, is when I, when I brought up earlier, like when we found our original location, we found it on Friday, looked at it on a Sunday, signed the lease on Monday. That doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. I mean, it takes, it took us a year to sign this lease here. And that involved lawyers and architects and, and everything to, just to get to a lease signing before you even start construction. And how many people have that, you know, that, that capital to go through that process, let alone pay the per square foot prices that are out there right now. Well, you're seeing a lot of developers getting in the game because the whole thing for them is to find the restaurant tour. So when they develop the product or the, the locate, the building, the, the whatever facility, they have those and they're looking and they're looking for specific clientele because their long term investment, you know, and in, in whatever profit sharing 
pro, you know, based rent you have, you know, so they're looking for some sort of return on that as well. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you identified the problem. Mm-hmm. Have you thought of a solution? Do you have ideas of what the solution could be? Or is it like what you identified the fear? Right. What are some of your thoughts as to what we can do intentionally I'm not to sure what the, cannibalize the industry? Uh, you know, I, I start building in smaller markets, I think, because you look at something in Atlanta and there's no real standalone small, like the space that we found is, is few and far between. And, and, and I think if you get outside in a smaller market and, and have, it, that slows down your you have a you have smaller operating overhead um you can focus on who you are what you're doing your quality of life and how you're going to grow from there yeah kind of steps back i think you you hit the, the nail on the head i think what's weird and i actually had this conversation recently you think about like humanity as we know it today cities as we know them today this word unprecedented is getting thrown around a lot. Unprecedented. The world we live in is so on. Un- like cities are unprecedented. Mm-hmm. The way that we think of like New York city or Atlanta or Chicago or Bang- like Shanghai or like all these cities across the world, Bangkok, like these massive frigging cities, vertical cities. Like that's a new thing. Anybody who's alive today, that's just normal. But if you go back another dead person ago, that's all new stuff. You go back two dead people ago. That's like, these things aren't even an option. And I don't think it's natural for people to live in cities like that. They've had evidence. Now the shows that people who live in cities, it shaves 10 years off of your life. People aren't meant to be on top of each other like that. We're not designed for it. It took hundreds of thousands of years of evolution for us to, to be a certain way. And then in in like a hundred years, like we've turned it upside down. I think the more we learn about, the, the study of humans, anthropology, the study of uh, psychology, the more we're realizing that, holy shit, we're happier when we spread out. We're happier when we have more opportunity for people. And I think that you're going to see massive growth in smaller markets as we figure that out. Focus on, on, on you and not the, the ball and chain that the restaurant eventually becomes. Yeah. And I, and it's going to be weird because I think you're going to see the, this huge exodus it's weird. Like during the industrial evolution, people went to the cities because that's where all the opportunity was. And like nature tends to have this, it's like a in out in out. And I think we're on an out right now where we're like, Whoa, we're full Mm -hmm. spread out. And I think that all those small markets out there, we're going to spread out and there's going to be more. I agree 100% that the opportunities right now are in the small markets, Midwest. You've seen the Midwest explode right now. Well, and, and people that, that live, in the small markets probably used to live in the big markets, but got priced out. And so they want, they want a quality, um, operation in their neighborhood. Everybody does. It's not, you know, it's not, they're lucky to, they want, they want those things to come to them and be part of their community. And and I think that's what it goes back to is starting community. Yeah, exactly. 100%. And I think the other variable that's really interesting too, is that people in the small markets in the middle of nowhere can see what's happening in the big markets and they go, that's cool. I wish I had that here. They want it Mm -hmm. because that's their exposure. They're exposed to it. They know it exists. So I think that the demand 
is there all across the world now because we all know what's possible. We exactly. all want that too. So yeah, man, I think that that could be the solution. Let's spread yeah. the frig out. Let's get away <laughs> from each other. You know, I love it. Um, I've loved this conversation again, inspire and power transformed. Who are you today versus the man you were back in 24 or 04 or 07 when you opened your first round? 07. Oh, so we opened in 2007. So that was, that was, uh, just past 15 years ago. Um, I would say I'm the same person, but I'm more of a, um, a leader now. Um, I focus on, you know, making sure that, that, um, I, I've kind of stepped back into our, as a culinary director, um, overseeing how we're going to, um, continue to evolve, but more or less, um, being there for, for my team, the people that, that, are there in there day in day out for us and, and being there for them versus um, doing it for me. Yeah. I'd love this conversation, man. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. One more quick break to thank our sponsors. We're going to bust out a true speed round recently on the show. You've been hearing it come up often restaurant systems pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the restaurant system pro 60 day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60 day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of restaurant systems pro will be leading a group of restaurant tours through the restaurant systems pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant. But during this no cost to you 60 day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the restaurant systems pro process and help you crush the following goals recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. P. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash RSP. We are back. And the first question I have for you is, what is your it factor, habit, trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Um, to make sure that we just serve in the best, um, the best service, the best food that we can. What is your biggest weakness? To serve the best, <laughs> to be the best. It's very often to have the best service. Yeah. You know, it because that that um, it's it's, it's like a pressure. Yeah. It, eats, it eats away at yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're growing your team? Just tell me about yourself. Mm. Um, I, I you know I look at their experience, but I want to know who they are mm-hmm. and and what brings you to us. What is the, one of your biggest challenges today? Remembering to say no. How are you overcoming that? 
by saying no, <laughs> <laughs> by talking to by by talking to people, and and uh, you know our, our oper- operations director. One of the first things I, I did with her was, I was like, "Look, you can tell me no. Yeah, it frustrates me, but you can tell me no, yeah. and we can talk about things." Yeah, thank you for saying yes to us. Yeah. by the way, I really yeah. appreciate that. <laughs> Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is a core value, a way to be, a way to act. Talk to people. Um, people can have your food cannot be sometimes on your food can slip. Um, but you know, we stress like, Hey, table visits, you know, visit with the people. You can catch things. Um, you can look at how people are doing, but try to try to, uh, connect with people before they leave. Even for you, the essence of what you do, the barbecue, was just a vehicle, a tool to bring people together. But at the yeah. end of the day, it was about the party. Yeah, the food can slip, but if the ultimate, if the overall experience was not positive, then then there you're you've lost a customer. Another way is, as I say, um, you know, we don't you don't build a business with bad business. Mm. What is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant operator? Or if you don't listen or read books, what is a resource that you you look to for inspiration? people. I, I, I'm not a reader. Um, I thought about this and, and I've started to read books and, and my wife tries to tell me to read more and whether it's, you know, habits of this or, um, uh, you know, working with a smile thing or, you know, I, I just, I never finish them. And it's, I think it's ADD in me. So talking to people yeah. and, and, and relating your experience to their experience. Yeah. I'm not much of a reader either, but audiobooks, man, are a game changer uh, yeah. for me. Podcasts. And I'm the same way as you. Yeah. Like I prefer to go I prefer to talk to people. And now that I have multiple locations, it's like I I find myself driving from point A to point B often. Yeah. So I try to listen to things and, and absorb things Yeah, For sure. Do you, do you have a recent listen or a podcast? Uh a multiple try to, you know, I I just started listening to yours. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully we can keep you around. Yeah. Uh what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? Stay on quality. What is one piece of technology you've recently adopted within the four walls of your restaurants that's had a huge impact on communication, efficiency, profitability, anything along those lines? Communication is the main thing, and um, and making sure that our teams are are communicating via logs and things like that. Um, we have a, a log book that that you know we, we're. We noticed our commissary team uh, was having some issues in, in making sure they communicate. And I was like, well, your logs are empty, you know, and make sure that you talk to your teams. Uh, at the end of the day, communication is key. I, I make I make sure that if I'm doing something, you know, say with this podcast, you know, I, was, I sent out to my team, managers, the chefs, everybody that knows, hey, this is happening and, you know, we need the space. Be ready for it. So, yeah. um, is there a piece of technology you're using to communicate? Um, logs are. I remember when we first opened, we had a, a, a word document that we and we printed out and faxed it out to everybody. Um, now it's great that it's on your phone and you can actually log in and type from Google your phone. Or, yeah, 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 from your computer. It's a Vero. It's a um, part of our our uh, micro system. So, got it. Um, Vero is the communications log. Yeah. Got it. What Vero does, why does that sound familiar? Is that Vero slingshot? They have, 
Was that purchased by C to it or Compete? Uh, Compete. Okay, and now Compete is Restaurant Three Sixty Five. Yeah. So you use Restaurant Three Sixty Five? I don't. Or do you have somebody for these answers? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a great yeah. answer right there. Is that you don't need to be an expert yeah. in everything. When you scale, you grow, you find people to stay in those lanes. Exactly. Awesome. Um, this is the last question. It's a doozy. You ready okay. for it? Yeah. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? And I'm surprised you didn't roll your eyes at me. I get so many eye rolls when I ask this question. Like, Jesus Christ, man, who do you think I am? (laughs) I mean, just... Like like I started off with, you know, always be learning. One. If you're not living, you're not learning. Or if you're not learning, you're not living. Yeah. Um, be proud of what you do. Two. And just because we have it doesn't mean we have to sell it. Three. I've loved this conversation. Thank you so much. Uh, I always wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So who do you respect and admire and believe would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today? One year, I believe you're going to interview him. Uh, locally, he's for Fry. I mean, he he's built a, a huge uh, base. But but I would say the one person is uh, Kevin Rathman. Um, when I, when we opened, he came and visited our restaurant mainly because he uh, we took it out from under him. He was going to open up a barbecue restaurant oh, yeah. in our spot, <laughs> and I and it was such an honor because I knew who he was growing up. And, um, and I followed him early on in, in like his food network days, but, um, but now we've become great friends and him and his wife, Melissa are just such believers in hospitality and, um, and just, you know, live life and, and, and are just great people to know and talk to. And I've definitely noticed a trend that it's the people at the top of this game, the top of this industry who, who look at other operators as friends, not competition. And they always, they always rise to talk. And I mean, they're, I'm leaving so many people out, but there's so you know many what, more dude, out there. You can give me some more names because <laughs> this makes my job easier because yeah. it's all about finding out who you success recognizes success, yeah. you know, and this is my natural filter. Yeah. So if you want to drop a couple more, I mean, the barbecue industry, uh, someone who's often overlooked is Aaron Siegel friend uh, has home team barbecue in Charleston. He has built uh, uh, we started around the same time and we, I think we even opened, he opened a year before we did. And uh, we had similar friends and, and he has built a brand that is, you know, expanded, but more or less, he's also like it's a barbecues community and, and we do a lot for, for charity and he is hyper-focused on, on fundraising mm-hmm. and charity yep. and uh, Pat Martin out of Martin's barbecue in, in, in Nashville goes out of his way to help people uh that don't or need um direction in in business and how to operate his business and john Hare, who worked for jim and nick's barbecue and just fell under the 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 martin's barbecue umbrella and just recently uh became owner operator of a martin's and then started his own 
business. It's inspirational to see. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I have had Patrick Martin on the show. He's amazing. Uh, and But Aaron Siegel and uh, Kevin Rathman. Am I saying Rathman. Right? Yeah. Look out, guys. I'm coming after you. Yeah. I'd love to get you on the show. John as well. I'd love to get you on the show. Uh, and I just can't wrap up. But well, first, I've got to say, if we are totally inspired by you, your story, uh, and we want to come work for you. I know hiring's a challenge right now. Maybe this is a good opportunity to recruit. Or maybe we just have questions. What's the best way to connect? Off our website, we have a careers link, yep. and um, and we have a, a great HR director, Liam, who um, is is really uh, a great person to talk to and try to find out what position will work best for you. Beautiful. And if you're interested in Instagram, I think it's uh, I'm pulling up right now. Fox Bros Barbecue. Beautiful. And we'll, this is. Actually, not sure of the episode number. We're moving a lot of things around right now. Uh, but just pay attention to whatever I say the episode number is at the beginning of the show. Head to restaurantunstoppable.com slash whatever the episode number is. We'll have a summary of today's discussion, as well as any tools, services, or links to anything that was recommended today and how to connect with Jonathan. And now I say it, Jonathan. There is no question, my friend. You are unstoppable. Appreciate it. Appreciate you. Cheers. <laughs> There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Jonathan Fox, for coming on, sharing your story, getting super generous. Man, it was an honor to connect with you. Uh, great lessons from today's chat. If you guys are enjoying today's conversation and you want more like it, we need your support. And here's one way we're really looking to get your support in the near future. Uh, it's a It's a little bit of an ask, but it's not a huge ask. It's an easy ask. Head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 946. Today's episode will have a link to take a 10-question survey. And uh, basically, what we're trying to do is provide our sponsors with specific information about who's listening to the show. My gut tells me it's restaurant owners and operators, but apparently uh, they want more details. They want to know for sure exactly who's listening. So we have this quick survey that you can take to kind of better understand who our listeners are. And uh, if you can take that survey, we'll be able to use that information to go to our sponsors and say, this is exactly who you're getting in front of. And that will help us out so much. And if you do take that survey, I will email you a list of the 10 most impactful episodes my 10 favorite episodes i've recorded in nearly a thousand interviews so that's a pretty good deal so take the survey 10 questions i'll get your email then i'll shoot you a pdf of my 10 favorite episodes that are most impactful uh also you can always support the show by supporting our sponsors using our affiliate links joining the network the network is going through an evolution right now uh i kind of took a break from the network for a little bit because i didn't know what the future of Restaurant Unstoppable looked like and how the network played into it. But one lesson I've learned that it, you, you can't scale anything if it hinges on a person. So with the network going to the future, I'm removing myself from the equation in a sense where now if you were a person that's been referred to me and I trust you, I'm giving you my platform and I'm going to go to my experts, my pros, and I'm going to say, hey, you're way more knowledgeable than I am on this subject. Why don't you contribute regularly? And that's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to have these series called Ask a Pro, where I literally connect you with my network of pros. And we're going to have peers in there, too, who are just making themselves available. It's it's lonely at the top. It does not have to be. All right, guys, that's it for today. Special thanks to Jared Parisi at Sumadre Podcast for the editing and copyright and for the videography and uh, photography 
special thanks and social media to Sam Hall at SabinSam.com. Can't do it without you guys. Thank you so much. That's it for today. Until next time, peace out.